0: Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine.
1: I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we're talking about complex family planning. Joining us to discuss this is the chair of the ASRM Complex Family Planning Special Interest Group, Dr. Aaron Lazerwitz, and the chair-elect, Dr. Sarah Horvath. Welcome, both of you, to ASRM Today.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah.
1: Uh, Dr. Horvath, I want to I start by asking you this. It's June 2022. This episode will be coming out mid-month. We're sitting on the precipice of a societal shaking decision to come down from the Supreme Court at the end of the month. I want to take this opportunity to ask you about, quote-unquote, potential consequences for infertility, medical education, general reproductive health care. That could come about if Roe versus Wade indeed is overturned.
0: Sure. So I think we can start from the broad and then move a little bit to some of those more specific concerns. The first thing that we should know is that if this ruling is what the potential ruling sort of has shown that to be, that overturning of Roe or essentially overturning of Roe, what we're going to see is that about 13 states are going to ban or nearly ban abortion within a matter of days to weeks. In those 13 states or so, patient care and and the ability to provide that care is going to be severely hampered immediately. There's another 13 states or so that will likely follow suit pretty shortly thereafter. And so by the end of this calendar year, I think this calendar year being 2022, for those of you listening in the future, um, I think that we can see that about half of states are going to lose access to abortion care in nearly all circumstances, if not all circumstances that's going to have some repercussions i think specifically for infertility doctors and the folks that are at ASRM in that we can see that the law that was just passed by Oklahoma actually does define life as beginning at conception and prior specifically prior to implantation and so for those folks that are in the world of infertility i think this is going to have some far reaching consequences that we haven't entirely worked out yet. I think if you want to think about this from a perspective of medical training, we do have evidence now that shows that residents who do not have routine abortion care training in the current world. Are less competent and less likely to intend to provide the full scope of not just abortion care, but also early pregnancy loss care. And again, when we think about our infertility docs, when we think about our reproductive endocrine folks, they're working with a disproportionate number of patients who are having pregnancy loss. And so when you think about the sort of brain drain that is potential to occur for our trainees, who are not getting the full-scope training in office procedural management, which is, I think, the one that's least common for them to be trained in. When they're not giving their patients the the full complement of choices and decision-making around their miscarriage management and their infertility and their recurrent pregnancy loss care, I think we're going to see a lot of issues with that as well. And so that's certainly something to, to put on everyone's radar as well.
1: Is this a slippery slope for miscarriage? Is is this, is this become problematic for practitioners? You know, in general, I mean, suddenly could you be, you know, more able for libel and you know, or, or something libelous or lawsuits of of that nature? <laughs> Does the group maybe see some of this coming with, with this? <laughs>
0: So this is hypothetical again, right. but I think for both patients and providers, we've already seen an arrest occur in Texas for someone who came into an ER and had noted that she had self-induced with medications. And so I think that for patients, there's certainly a lot of risk out there. We've seen in other countries that have very punitive abortion care laws patients with miscarriage being put in jail, sometimes for many, many years. And for providers, I think what we're seeing is that there are is this sort of imagined bright line where we as providers are supposed to know when something is life-threatening and when it is not. And I think everyone listening to this podcast can say that that is an area of gray and many shades of gray, and that there is very rarely a bright line that gets crossed. But I do think that we as providers will be held accountable on both sides, on one side to making sure that we are adherent to these abortion laws, which will be different in different states, and on the other side, uh, making sure that we are providing that life-saving care when that life-saving care is truly needed.
1: And that was one thing we were talking about uh, last week on a uh, episode of Policy Matters, that people need to also be reminded about state-to-state Decisions, and I think that sometimes in our panic mode, that we we can forget that not that that's always you know going to work out, but it's definitely something to to always keep in mind. Dr. Lazarus, I want to ask you then, you know, will will contraceptive technologies be affected by the overturning if it happens of, of Roe versus Wade?
2: So, in an ideal world, no. It, you know, contraceptive technologies, you know, are not abortifacients. It should have, you know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, if that does occur, should have no effect, but that's not what we think is going to happen. Uh, there's already been rumors and actually, you know, talking points from some of these states that have the trigger bands that then their next target is contraception, specifically emergency contraception. And some of our most effective and most efficacious contraceptive technologies, the intrauterine devices. And a lot of this comes from medical disinformation, that there's belief that, you know, intrauterine devices can cause abortions that interfere with, you know, conception and things like that. And so these misbeliefs Um, have perpetuated into then now these potential policies that are going to be coming down that after, you know, if abortion is outlawed in these states, they'll come after these kind of contraceptive methods to say, you know, these are just as bad and we're not going to allow them. So it's going to be very much like Dr. Horvath said, a very much state to state difference. You know, I don't know of any trigger laws in terms of contraceptive technologies, fortunately, but again, there's already been those rumors that these are the next targets and it would be, you know, a real loss for the women and, you know, the patients in those States to lose ability to get an intrauterine device because there's so many advantages. And it's not just, they're not just used for contraception. You know, they have non-contraceptive benefits that a lot of patients rely upon. And suddenly you're taking that option away from them. And, you know, emergency contraception is also used by a lot of women in this country, a lot of, you know, patients as well. And that's just, we don't want to lose options. You know, we've done a great job over the years of trying to get patients as many options as we can because no, no, one method is going to be the perfect method for everybody, and I would really hate to see methods start to be made illegal.
1: We were we were talking before we came on the show that you you also uh, teach. Is there a panic button going on with the scope of you know? There's uh, teaching is year round, but it, it does really move semester to semester. And traditionally, you know, from fall to spring. I mean, is is there, <laughs> what's happening in that area of of medical education right now?
2: Yeah. So we've always been huge proponents of teaching the science and talking about how these contraceptive methods work, what really is abortion in terms of healthcare, because abortion is healthcare. And so, you know, we've definitely seen locally just more more interest in our medical students and our other learners about making sure they're as well-informed as possible. I wish that sentiment was copied by more people involved directly in politics and i think that's that is part of our job and part of what our you know special interest group is about is doing advocacy work and i know dr horvath has done a ton of that and you know publicly spoken on many of these issues and there's a lot of people in our field that do that work because we're passionate about teaching as many people as we can the science behind this work and you know the actual medical benefits of all this Um, And, you know, kind of touching on what Dr. Horvath spoke about in terms of graduate medical education, we've already had programs from other states reaching out to us here in Colorado to ask, can our residents come work with you? Because we can't teach abortion, we can't teach miscarriage management anymore, and we're worried they're not going to get good training. And unfortunately, we're already... Overwhelmed with the res, you know, the residents and the learners we have here. So, you know, my program itself, we take care of two residency programs, our own and another local one. And I wish we could take residents from Oklahoma, from Texas, from other states. And I'm sure Dr. Horvath feels the same. And we want to teach as much as we can, but there's just limits on. how many learners we can have to make sure that patients are still getting the great care that they, you know, that they deserve and that learners are getting a great experience as well. And that's just going to get worse. And then, you know, put on top of that, if say IUDs become illegal in certain states, then you have residents not learning how to put an IUD in, which is just a core concept and core technique in our specialty that it would just be a tremendous disservice to not have competent physicians in providing such basic contraceptive technology.
1: Sometimes I like to imagine that lawmakers uh, think that uh, most things are magical unicorns where, you know, they just like, they already pre-exist and they don't realize it's just like, no, they have to go to colleges and to training and to do these things. And if you put these laws into place, you're going to make it real hard on a lot of people to get these, you know, to get these things done. And I think that that gets lost when we look, uh, or when when they're looking at, uh, and the general public too is looking at, you know, a, a micro situation rather than a macro situation, which unfortunately manipulative techniques are used to make it as much is a, is a micro situation, even though it is a macro one, as possible. My guest today, I've got the pleasure of having Dr. Aaron Lazarowitz and Dr. Sarah Horvath on. We're talking about complex family planning now in, the, in this time of uncertainty with the Roe v. Wade decision coming down soon. Before we run out of time, though, I want to ask you both, what are the happenings with the, with the complex family planning special interest group that our listeners should know about?
2: You know, definitely we have a, a fellow showcase at the annual meeting coming up in Anaheim this year. That's a recurring event that we host where we invite fellows in Complex Family Planning to come and show their research and kind of the leading edge of what fellows are doing in our subspecialty that may be of interest to all ASRM members. So definitely look out for that session and check it out. It's it's going to be a great interactive sessions and we really love to get people outside of our core subspecialty involved because I think there's a lot of overlapping contributions from, you know, the reproductive endocrinology and the infertility field and kind of the research we do because as we all know, these things overlap. Um, so yeah, just love to highlight that session. It's, it's a great session every year.
1: Dr. Horvath, would you like to add anything?
0: I like to say that the REIs were the grandfathers of uh, complex family planning because I was actually trained in my fellowship by Steve Sondheimer. I'm just going to call him out. And so I really do think that it's not just overlap. We really do sort of like come around the backside and and share these patients. So uh, really excited to continue to work together for our patients.
1: My guests today have been Dr. Aaron Lazarwitz and Dr. Sarah Horvath, who are chair and chair elect of the ASRM Complex Family Planning Special Interest Group. Both of you, thank you, thank you so much for being able to take time out of your schedules to to come on ASRM today. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Really appreciate it.
1: As always, you can subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. I'm sure I'm missing some, but they're out there. However you get your podcast needs met, if you have a question for us, as always, please email asrm at asrm.org in our show notes. We will be posting stuff about the uh, Complex Family Planning Special Interest Group, how to get in contact with them, how to keep up to date with them, and also definitely linking to uh, things you can do at Anaheim, as as Dr. Uh, Lazarowitz was mentioning. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today.
0: This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council.
1: The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.